I'm probably in what we call NFL control by about 9.30, and that is our operation in the stadium. That's our perch, our command center, just to, to be on top of everything going on, and it's, a, it's an incredible team. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast 15 years, over 600 episodes featuring conversations with the biggest names in sports like David Stern, Pete Carroll, Chris Everett, Jeannie Buss, Michael Vick, Andre Iguodala, Mark Cuban, Tom Rinaldi, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, Lindsey Vaughn, Eric Spolstra, Aaron Rodgers, and Steve Nash on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes, and everyone who posts a review on iTunes will be eligible to be selected to join us in our studio audience at one of our Sports Business Radio roadshows presented by Boingo. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. We've got a great guest lined up for you this week. Peter O'Reilly, the Senior Vice President of Events and Club Business Development for the NFL. He is responsible for planning and executing the Super Bowl, the Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show, the Pro Bowl, the NFL Draft, and the NFL International Games for the NFL. Griggs, I don't know that there's anyone in sports busier than Peter O'Reilly over the next two weeks. It's really insane that they put the Pro Bowl before the Super Bowl. He's going back and forth between the Pro Bowl in Orlando and the Super Bowl in Atlanta. They've got teams on the ground, but it's a nut schedule for the next couple weeks. Yeah, you uh, you think you're stressed, then you talk to Peter, and you're like, <laughs> oh, you got a lot going on right now. <laughs> well, he's totally chill about it, too, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, he doesn't come across... Sometimes you talk to those people, and they're like... Right. And you're like, oh, wow, that person's super stressed. Like, Peter comes across as like, I got this. Yep. I'm, I'm yep. calm, cool, and collected. This is my first rodeo. And uh, we now know the matchup in Super Bowl 53 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's the New England Patriots against the Los Angeles Rams. Griggs, it'll be another great matchup. These two teams, I think, matched up in 2002, really at the beginning of the Patriots' dynasty now. It's incredible the Patriots have continued this run of excellence for 17 years now. But both the NFC and the AFC Championship games were decided in overtime, the first time in NFL history that both of those games went into overtime, and Griggs also both were not without their controversy. Of course, yeah, and it's it's kind of every football fan's dream to have you know the two last games of the season, and they both go to overtime. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that was fun, but yeah, I mean, as with everything, it seems like there's always some controversy or a blown call or something, and that is all we're hearing about right now is that blown pass interference call. Well, and give me a break. Like, I love the New Orleans Saints... But when you have fans who are taking out lawsuits demanding yeah. that the end of the game be replayed, come on. Yeah. Like, get over it, move on. You know, as a lot of the coaches and players have said, if we weren't in that position where it came down to one call that cost us the game, then, you know, that wouldn't have meant as much as it did. But with that being said, that call was pretty egregious. I'm yeah. sure everyone's seen it a million times on, on replay. And, I think some of the replay rules need to change about what you can review. Um, I also think that the overtime situation needs to change. So do yeah. both teams get the ball, or is it the, the same rules that it is now, or if you score a touchdown, the game's over? Um, I think a lot of people have a hard time in those championship games that Pat Mahomes never got to touch the football, yeah. or 
Drew Brees never got to touch the football and, and the game is over. That's a, that's a tough one, uh, for a lot of people to swallow. So maybe those rules will change. But the other thing that is really interesting about the NFL now is there are so many different camera angles for replay that A, it slows the game down. It seemed like in those two championship games in the fourth quarter of each game and in overtime, like almost every other play was being reviewed. <laughs> yeah. So it slows the game down. Um, the other thing is, is that, gosh, I'll tell you that Julian Edelman where it was the kick return and you're wondering, did it graze him? Did it right. touch his thumbs? Even with the re- replay angles, I was like, I can't tell yeah. <laughs> if, if it touched him or not. So the job of the instant replay officials to determine things that are a matter of inches sometimes, that's a really tough job. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, you think about in that moment, all of it comes down to this one second of where did that touch his thumb? Did it not touch his thumb? And you're right. It's like it's all weighing on these guys' shoulders and the New York replay guys. And it's crazy. And, and you're right. Even with all the angles and the slow-mo and the super zoomed in, sometimes you still can't tell. Well, and how about uh, two calls that went against Kansas City? One was the roughing the passer with Brady where the guy's arm, it looked like with the naked eye that he may have roughed him. But when you saw the replay, it's like, no, he, yeah. he didn't even – he grazed him. Yeah. And then the killer call for Kansas City was the lining up in the neutral zone, right. which if you think about it is a matter of inches. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to play that out more, Kansas City loses that game because the drive is kept alive by that call. And Kansas City ends up firing their defensive coordinator, Bob Sutton. I'm guessing if they win that game and they advance to the Super Bowl, Bob Sutton probably doesn't lose his job. So if you really want to break it down again, just like the Julian Edelman replay, the lining up in the neutral zone is a matter of inches, and look at the the way that resonates and the impact that that one call has. It's really crazy how in a game, 60-minute game, or plus 60 minutes with overtime, and it'll come down to one little thing like that. All oh, that whole game, and everybody's talking about one little thing, or one little call, or, oh, he's in the neutral zone. It is crazy how one little choice or decision or error can really change everything. All right, so on next week's podcast, we're going to break down the gambling numbers, We're going to talk about the broadcast. We'll give you lots of ins and outs for Super Bowl 53 on February 3rd at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. But for today, we want to bring on the person who is responsible for the NFL League office for producing Super Bowl 53. My guest is Peter O'Reilly. He is the Senior Vice President of Events and Club Business Development for the NFL. You can find him on Twitter at P.L. O'Reilly. He is responsible for planning and executing the production for the Super Bowl, the Pepsi Halftime Show, the Pro Bowl, NFL Draft, and NFL International Games. He's worked for the NFL in this capacity since 2014. Peter, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How you hanging in there? Pretty busy, I imagine. Doing well, Brian. Thanks for having me. Good to be back with you, and uh, we're uh, we're gearing up. I'm down in Orlando right now, a few days away from the Pro Bowl. You know, having been in uh, Atlanta preparing for uh, about ten days prior to coming down here, so uh, we're in the throes of uh, of our uh, of our fun time. Yeah, I mean, this is just an insane schedule for you for the next few weeks. Maybe you can walk us through it. But you've got Pro Bowl coming up this weekend. And then you've got Super Bowl coming up on February 3rd at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Just nuts. And and when we talked last year, Peter, you said you have a full-time staff of about 25 people, but then obviously you have people on the ground in Orlando and Atlanta who help you with the production, correct? 
We do, yeah. So really, um, when it comes to Super Bowl, kind of right after uh, the New Year, so January 2nd, the, the, the team starts to descend on the Super Bowl city, so in this case, Atlanta. And that's really when, assuming, you know, last year we had a, a team in the Vikings who were making a run through the playoffs. Uh, that was unfortunately not the case for the Falcons this year. So we can really start our build-out um, not only in and around the stadium, but the whole downtown campus. Um, in that early January period, ramping up um, throughout those days. And then as you come into mid-January, we've got Orlando ramping up and kind of building out again, not only the stadium campus, but all the week-long activities we have going on, which, uh, which are actually starting in, in earnest today down in Orlando. And, yeah, it's a, it's a relatively small core NFL team, about 25 on the NFL events team. But you Obviously, the entire organization in some form is involved in the Super Bowl, and then we ramp up to uh, kind of a small army of about 20,000 credentialed people. You know, when you think about all of the different um, roles that take place uh, and play a role in Super Bowl. So that's the phase we're in now of just kind of uh, fully ramping up and getting everything uh, set to go. You know, a lot of people think of the Super Bowl as just the game itself, but in the last decade or so, you've got Super Bowl opening night, you've got Super Bowl live, you've got Super Bowl experience. It's 10 days of activity leading up to the Super Bowl, and that's a ton of production as well, right? It is, and, and we've really focused on on creating that experience for the fan who may not have the opportunity to be in Mercedes-Benz Stadium on, on Super Bowl Sunday but create that that 10-day experience, which uh, will be starting starting this weekend. And, and to make it as accessible as possible for fans, you mentioned Super Bowl Live. So that's a great example of an event um, that will open this Saturday in Centennial Olympic Park. Um, and that's a free fan event where fans can just come down, lots of, lots of fan activities, concerts there, um, a lot of the, our big Network partners will have sets there, NFL Network, ESPN. Um, and that'll be, you know, the beauty of this Atlanta setup, um, similar to some other Super Bowls that have been really walkable, like New Orleans and Indianapolis. Within a four-block radius in downtown Atlanta by the stadium, 13 of the 15 major NFL events going on during the week will all be within, you know, a few blocks there, whether that's that free Super Bowl Live experience throughout the week, Super Bowl experience, which is um, opens on that Saturday, that Pro Bowl weekend Saturday as well, um, which is the NFL's interactive theme park going on there. You mentioned Super Bowl opening night, and that's Monday night. We've really um, worked on turning uh, that primetime event on Monday night, what was media day on Tuesday with the team speaking to the media, into really a great kickoff to the week, and that'll take place at State Farm Arena um, right there next to the stadium, and that, uh, that's a fun one. So it's really, to your point, um, we want to make it as accessible as possible and create so many ways for fans, whether you're coming into the market without a ticket or whether you're in the driving distance, the Atlanta area, a chance to be part of, uh, part of the Super Bowl. You know, we haven't been in Atlanta for 19 years, so it's, uh, it's been a while. Last year when we spoke, you guys really embraced being in Minneapolis and, and the cold and the north. And what's the theme this year in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, from a, from a perspective, down, certainly the bold north was a, was a clear theme. And, you know, what we're really embracing in Atlanta is, um, is such the, the rich history of this town in so many ways. And um, really a lot of our community elements are tying into 
um, tying into the rich civil rights history of this town, um, you'll see that in game day and a lot of the things we're doing and a lot of the, the community elements in there and really working with that, uh, with all parts of that community across everything we're doing. This is a, this is such a vibrant town and then kind of this, um, this town that's a magnet in the South for so many different people. Um, so really in working with the team in Atlanta, just to show the vibrancy of, of Atlanta, you'll see that coming through. Um, and then kind of this, this rich history element that you'll see. We, I can't talk about some of the surprises that we haven't announced yet on game day, but there's some interesting elements that will be, will be woven through that will be really exciting. Um, so it's kind of made with that, that soul of Atlanta that will come through. This town's hosted so many big events um, over the years. Obviously, the Olympics hosted a CFP um, you know, two years ago. They're coming into a, uh, a Final Four after that. But um, I humbly say that there's, there's few things that kind of rally a town and, and kind of bring together all the different uh, stakeholders and all the different sectors in the way that Super Bowl does. And that's, uh, that's a testament to Atlanta and, and certainly speaks to the bigness of the Super Bowl. So you'll see that energy kind of radiating in downtown Atlanta, not only if you're on the ground, but if you're watching uh, any of the covers leading up. Peter, Super Bowl 53 will be played at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, 71,000 capacity. One of the state-of-the-art new stadiums in the NFL from people I've spoken with. I haven't been there, but people say it is just a, a jewel. Uh, talk about some of the benefits of playing in, in that brand-new stadium. Oh, it's, We've been really fortunate these two years to be at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis last year, brand-new building, gorgeous, and now into Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And there certainly are, are real, um, you know, with everything, um, certainly state-of-the-art from a technology perspective. Um, that's certainly been, been really helpful. You've obviously got um, some beautiful club spaces and suites and, and hospitality areas around the stadium. Um, and then they also, um, just in terms of the way they've built that campus, they've built it um, for big events and and. You know, they certainly, the, the Falcons and, and Mr. Blank and Rich McKay down there in, in building that stadium, as I said, they built it for big events, but they built it to host the Super Bowl and then certainly in their mind, Super Bowls, um, and thus really made, um, took all the care to make sure that everything you need for a Super Bowl is in there. So um, thrilled about that, thrilled about the way the campus lays out. Um, you know, we'll see. It's got, a, you know, one of their signature elements in there. Um, is their halo board that I'm sure you've seen, the beautiful 360-degree halo board in the middle there. So I think our team is very happy when, when as we come in and produce the Super Bowl in there. You've got uh, a lot of bells and whistles to play with from a um, media and technology standpoint that will show really well both in the stadium and in the broadcast. So um, it makes it easy when you're in, in these fantastic buildings. You've got two teams from top 10 media markets playing in the Super Bowl for the third year in a row. L.A. has not played in the game in a long, long time. Does it help you guys when you have two big media markets playing in the game? Or is it, hey, it's the Super Bowl, no matter what size the market, it's going to be lots of media covering the game? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think the latter more. It really is. We've seen over the years that... Uh, no matter the matchup, there are just so many compelling storylines, so many um, the Super Bowl really just draws in um, draws in that audience who are who have you know followed these stories throughout the year. Obviously we're coming out of um, two 
uh, phenomenal overtime championship games that led into this. Um, certainly, uh, the fact that we, you know, recently returned to Los Angeles, um, now with two teams in Los Angeles, and soon after that return, one of those teams is going to the Super Bowl. Um, it's a powerful story for continuing to galvanize uh, that market around the return of the NFL to L.A. So I think that's a really positive thing. Um, and certainly, um, to their credit, we're very familiar with the Patriots, and they have been um, you know, just an incredible run here. Um, but there's, you know, the Super Bowl has that, has that draw, certainly the, the matchup and then everything that goes around it, whether it's the, the halftime show, the commercials, the the elements leading up that uh, that draw people in. So certainly big markets are, are helpful when you talk about ratings and media overall, but uh, the Super Bowl has something special regardless. You mentioned the Patriots, and I wonder, you know, much like Alabama in college football, is there fan fatigue? Like, hey, we've been in the Super Bowl so many times, I'm not going to go to the Super Bowl again. I'll watch it on TV. One of the things you talked about with us last year, Peter, is the ticket allocation breakdown of – where the tickets go. So I guess like 17 and a half go to each of the participating teams. I think it was 25% go to the rest of the 30 teams in the league. I know you keep some tickets for the league, but what happens if the Patriots don't sell all their tickets? Does that go back into the pool so you can sell those to other people? Um, it's a nice hypothetical, Brian, but that is uh Despite their success, I, I can tell you firsthand from calls I've been on all morning, there is no lack of, of demand among uh, Patriots fans or from the Patriots themselves to, to satisfy that demand that exists from their fans out mm. there. They are, um, there, is, there is massive interest in uh, coming to Atlanta. Um, you know, Obviously, they didn't walk away uh, in Super Bowl 52 with a victory over the Eagles, so there is a there's a, a really strong demand and desire out there, um, and if anything, the Patriots are are looking for for you know more tickets or more ways to to deliver to the demand that exists out there. So, but again, that that breakdown of the tickets was I kind of on the right path with uh, how it breaks down where the teams get some, and then the other. 30 teams get tickets, and then the host city probably gets some tickets, and then I know the NFL keeps some tickets for your sponsors and partners, right? Yeah, that you, you had the breakdown, um, you know, just about you know, just about right there. You had a you know spot on in terms of those numbers, in terms of the, um, you know, the 17 and a half percent to the two participating teams, um, and then uh, about a, you know, the each uh, non-participating team gets a percentage of tickets, and then lead gets a portion. Um, and then the host city gets about 5%, so the, the Falcons get that. So those are generally where we are. And then we've, um, we've worked over the last couple of years to pull, to hold back, uh, 500 tickets, uh, that we identified just amazing fans with great stories who we, um, really just surprise and tap on the shoulder and say, would you like to go to the Super Bowl? And, I love it. Um, so it's been, it's been a fun, we do it throughout the year, but we also hold some back. Um, in this stage, we know the two participating teams and really work to identify incredible stories. Fans who may not, you know, be season ticket members may have never been to a game, but have incredible stories. So um, that's something that uh, we, you know, make sure of. We understand that the you know, Super Bowl tickets are it's a it's a premium priced event, but we want to make sure um, that we do set, uh, you know, a significant number of tickets away to to just say, you know, on us go to the Super Bowl. You're a tremendous fan. 
You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest Peter O'Reilly of the NFL. We'll be right back after this. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Peter O'Reilly. I know the Super Bowl is a level one national security event. Last year, you used the Mall of America as kind of a exterior checkpoint so you kept congestion away from the stadium itself are you doing that again in atlanta do you have a a mall of america type of location where you're able to have an exterior checkpoint outside of the stadium it's a great question um minnesota was pretty unique so um given how uh compact that uh that campus is without really any it's really just nestled into downtown Minneapolis. There wasn't an opportunity to really build those type of checkpoints um, there. In Atlanta, um, though it is in an urban downtown campus, there's more space. Um, so we're able to actually use, um, right next to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, there is the Georgia World Congress Center, which is um, the, the massive convention center here down uh, in Atlanta. So we're able to use that for a lot of our pregame functions and allow that to be um, tied into our screening mechanism. So we don't have that remote element um, with fans coming in via, via train or, or buses this year in Minneapolis. So it's a more tradi- traditional model in Atlanta, which, uh, which works well, but it just kind of points to uh, there is no cookie-cutter model for the Super Bowl, um, either from an operational standpoint or a security standpoint. Right. And you have to plan for like every contingency. Let's dig in to some of the production of the Super Bowl itself. I know one of the biggest productions is the Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show. You've got Maroon 5. Uh, you've also got Big Boy and Travis Scott. I know you announced Maroon 5 and then you added Big Boy and Travis Scott. They're all great acts. My question is this, and I think this would be really hard if I, if I were the NFL. When you're planning with Pepsi, the Super Bowl halftime show, is there any thought given to let's go with an act that has some resonation with the local crowd? Or is it just like, hey, we're going to look at who's available and who's big at the time? Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at, and this has obviously been a, been a topic of conversation over the last few months, if you look at the history of Super Bowl halftime, um, almost never has the act um specifically aligned with the market itself there's mm-hmm. some exceptions to that but it's really been about what is the what is the best act to deliver um you know based on on where that act is at the time and what is a pretty unique um 
thing to deliver, which is just 12 intense minutes uh, that end up being the biggest uh, music events of the year. So um, I think we struck um, that balance this year, which was important. And obviously Atlanta has such a rich musical history and such a, you know, rich hip hop tradition as well. So being able to have um, Maroon 5 and then partner with a legend like Big Boy um, out of Atlanta and then Travis Scott, who's obviously one of the, the hottest young rappers out there today. So that combination is really, um, really works. But if you look at it historically, it's really been, um, you know, it's really has not been necessarily tied to the market. There's, there's moments where you nod to it. You look at, at Justin Timberlake last year in Minneapolis, and obviously we nodded to, nodded to Prince or he nodded to Prince within that show. Um, but when you look at holistically at Super Bowl week, we talked earlier about, all that goes on with Super Bowl week. I would say this year, um, there are more music elements as part of Super Bowl week itself than uh, ever before. Um, we are in Super Bowl Live, uh, which is that Super Bowl, uh, free Super Bowl experience. We partnered with Jermaine, Jermaine Dupree, who's one of the great producers and you know, really heart and soul of Atlanta. And acts throughout the week, all Atlanta-based acts will be performing um, every night throughout that, uh, that festival environment. Um, and then for the first time, we've really created a bigger Super Bowl music fest, um, partnered with our, with our partner on location experiences. So at the, at State Farm Arena on Thursday night, um, Ludacris and Friends are doing a big, uh, show with, with Madden, um, our partners at EA. Friday night, Aerosmith with Post Malone. And then Saturday night, Bruno Mars with Cardi B. Um, all at the uh, at the Bud Light Super Bowl music. Wow! Fest. So you've got this kind of you know there've always been those more private hospitality um, you know concerts going on around Super Bowl. These are big arena shows under the Super Bowl umbrella taking place the three nights leading up to the game and then going into the Super Bowl itself. And then it was important for us in pregame to really tie in Atlanta to the pregame elements. So. Um, we announced recently that Gladys Knight, who's just legend, um, is singing the national anthem, and she's um, couldn't be more excited to do that to represent her hometown um, as the, the Empress of Soul. And then uh, Chloe and Hallie, who are, are young sisters, um, who just are you know incredible talents, are going to be singing "America the Beautiful" leading into that, which kind of represents the next generation of Atlanta talent. So you strike that balance, Brian, between um, really reflecting the the markets you're in while making sure you've got the the biggest acts to deliver on an audience that uh you know is 110 million plus watching wow that's going to be quite a lineup leading into the game like you said the game is going to be broadcast by cbs uh, i think tony romo already knows the outcome of the game probably somehow because he's <laughs> so good at predicting everything but uh i'm always interested for super bowl the network that broadcasts the game, it seems like they have so many cameras that they bring in. Like, they have every single angle covered. Do you have any idea, like, how many cameras CBS will use for their broadcast? I don't. I should have the number in my head, but I don't want to give you a, a, a wrong number. But they um, they do bring in so many additional angles and cameras into that game. Um, you know, their team, the CBS production team, is, is obviously um, – you know, so experienced at doing Super Bowls. They're, they're such an incredible partner to come in with us. We've been 
working with them on Super Bowl planning um, going back two or three years. And, you know, their operations team, you know, guys like Ken Agard and others who are just, you know, I can't even count the number of Super Bowls that Ken's been involved with on the operations side. Um, such a first-class operation. And we're so excited to have Tony call in the game with Jim. Um, and to your point, they they absolutely plus up um, every every opportunity to make sure they're not missing a shot and they can they can cover everything in that building. All right, some some big picture things here because I know you only have a few minutes left. Super Bowl. Here's my idea. Tell me if you think it's good or bad or or realistic. I think okay. the Super Bowl should rotate between these five locations: New Orleans, Atlanta. Somewhere in Florida, I know you're going to Miami and Tampa as your next two. California, I know you have the new stadium in L.A., and Arizona. So New Orleans, Atlanta, Florida, California, and Arizona. Here are my two big reasons. One, because they're warm weather locations, so people want to travel to warm weather, and you don't have the snow and the other elements to deal with around the production of the game. But two, and I think you know this, but I was really close to the Arizona host Super Bowl committee, and saw mm-hmm. up close how that was all planned. Peter, the thing that I don't understand is when cities don't know if they're going to be hosting the game or not for, you know, five years, six years, ten years, the Super Bowl host committee breaks up. Like, they have to go get jobs and do other things. If you rotated between these five locations, the Super Bowl host committees would be able to stay intact, and you'd be dealing with people who have experience producing this game on the ground every five or six years. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, we're not necessarily in a rotation mode, but I think if you look at, um, we are as far out, we are further out than we ever have been on naming Super Bowls, and that's intentional because of the planning that it requires and um, the ability to, and we've also changed the process, as you, as you may know, for how we select Super Bowls um, and moved away from having three or four cities um, bid for a game and then ultimately and inevitably have losers and losing cities uh, having put in a lot of time and resources to bidding. We've moved to a process and some other properties have moved here as well where we're really working with the ownership group to identify um, the optimal city for that year, the optimal sequencing and going to them to receive a proposal for that year. So as we sit here today with Atlanta right in, uh, right in front of us, we head to Miami after that. That's in your Florida bucket. We uh, were in Tampa the year after that, and then we're in Los Angeles at the new stadium at Hollywood Park, and then we're back uh, close to your heart in Arizona, uh, and then we're in New Orleans. So we've got a run of five years that, that live within your construct um, exactly. In some cases, I think every city's a little bit different in terms of how their sports commissions are set up. Miami actually has what you talked about. They've got uh, in Mike Zimmer and, and the team down in Miami. They are um, they they know Super Bowls are, are a thing in Miami, so they they are almost full on with Super Bowl. Um, and similar with New Orleans, not full on with Super Bowl, but they've got a core um, sports commission down there that really just focuses on these big events and, and big sporting events coming into town. And I could see getting to that place in Los Angeles. Um, as we move forward, obviously they've got an Olympics on the, on the far horizon as well. So, um, we are, you know, I'm not sure we're, um, we're fully there on rotation because you always want to keep flexibility. Should things come up? Should, should there be, 
um, either a new stadium or a new opportunity in a non-traditional market. Um, but certainly, if you look at those next five years, it, it meshes uh, with your with your mindset. Well, I did our Sports Business Radio Roadshow uh, at Hard Rock Stadium in October with Tom Garfinkel from the Dolphins, and wow, I was amazed by what they've done with that stadium. So you're going to have a a new stadium. Well, it really does. Almost a new stadium. Yeah, it, it, it really is. They've done an incredible job with that, so I know you're there next year. NFL Draft, I know that's something that you put a lot of time and effort into as well. It's in Nashville this year. Vegas in 2020. The question I hear from people all the time is, is the draft now going to move around to different NFL cities or will it return to New York as it did for so many years? Um, draft has been so fun to watch it evolve um, since we moved out of New York and went to Chicago, then Philly, then Dallas, and now Nashville and Vegas. It's, um, you know, Brian, there's so much interest from club markets. 20 plus clubs are. Um, really interested in hosting the draft. And, and unlike the Super Bowl, um, where you've got some weather um, out, you know, uh, constraints and certainly have some hotel room constraints around Super Bowl, the draft, for the most part, um, could live in any of those markets. So I think you've seen us be thoughtful about wanting each year to go bigger, do something unique, showcase something iconic, in that city, whether it was the Rocky Steps in Philly, obviously AT&T Stadium is a mecca down there in Dallas this year, and Nashville will be shutting down Lower Broadway um, with all of the honky-tonks and elements there and building the stage right on Lower Broadway in the heart of Nashville and then Vegas um, working through just off the strip how that comes to life. So I think the answer is we're going to continue to look at what's the way to make the draft um, this event that draws people in as this kind of oasis in the off season that's free and accessible and just has an incredible vibe to it um, and make sure that that also complements the broadcast. Now, as we announced this year, ABC is doing a standalone broadcast, not an ESPN simulcast, in addition to NFL Network, and that show is going to be a college game day feel, a lot more kind of casual and fun beyond the, the Kuiper X's and O's and, and uh and prognostication. So the draft is one that we're excited to continue to see grow. Um, and the short answer is I think you will see it continue to move around. Last question, because I know you have to go on Super Bowl Sunday. Give us your, where are you going to be? Where do you set up? Do you walk around with like five different cell phones and water bottles? And, <laughs> and how do you get through the day? And what's your, what's your kind of perch? Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's an amazing team, and it's one of those days that are, it's just a really special day. You get up, you know, pretty early, probably up around 5, and then you're just, you know, kind of clearing through any last-minute things on email, checking in with the team, um, and then over at the stadium, you know, pretty early. And we set up, um, you know, kickoff is 6.30 Eastern. We're, I'm probably in what we call NFL control by about 9.30 and that is our operation in the stadium. That's our perch, to use your term, where we've got every department, inside and out, public safety, those running the game in there. You've got every monitor in there that, that shows inside and out what's going on. And then that becomes our command center just to, to be on top of everything going on. And it's, uh, it's an incredible team, an incredible group of people who, uh, you know, who have done this many times together and, uh, you know, and, and you just, you know, you go through the day and, and react and, and play out the things you've been planning for months. 
Peter O'Reilly, the Senior Vice President of Events and Club Business Development for the NFL. Find him on Twitter at P.L. O'Reilly. Peter, you guys do an amazing job with all that you produce, including the Super Bowl. Best of luck. I really enjoy these annual conversations, and uh, stay in touch. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Great to talk with you. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Bringing you the biggest names in sports business. Without further ado, we all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. Let's welcome the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. Give him a hand. Let's give a big hand to USC alum and co-owner of the Lakers and president of the Lakers, Jeannie Bust. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. Thank you so, so much for having me, Brian. It was very, very kind, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Sir Charles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing this morning? Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale. You're the man, Barrett. My guest is tennis icon Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Pleased to welcome to the show... Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA Draft. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of football operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and, of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at sportsbusinessradio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.